Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. From the Financial Times, this is hard currency. It's been a lively week. The shock value of potential further easing by the European Central Bank just won't wear off on the euro. Then again, nor will the boost to the dollar from the drumbeat of positive US economic data. This is odd. It's not as if either major event is a big surprise at this stage. Every other currency on the planet seems to be orbiting around this big divergence too. My name is Katie Martin and I'm joined by Adam Cole, head of G10FX from the Royal Bank of Canada. Adam, thanks for coming in. I'm hoping that you can help us make sense of some of this and also to give us a sense of what's coming up in the next few weeks, apart from Christmas, obviously. Welcome to our chat about the biggest themes in the world's biggest market. Adam, how close are we to having this very obvious big event of big divergence amongst the world's biggest central banks priced in? Not there yet, I think, is the answer. So if we look at expectations for Fed policy at the December FOMC meeting, we're at about a 75% probability now of the Fed lifting off at that meeting, which is as high as it's been, and I think probably about as high as it can go until we get the last few hurdles cleared. So we've got key economic data coming up in the last month of employment data that we get to see before yeah, the Fed. There's still a run of payrolls, right? Indeed. Which something to be sniffed at. No, no, indeed. And it's probably the one release that could derail the Fed if it were weak enough. If it isn't, then I think we probably get to the December meeting 90 or 95% priced and the event itself turns out to be a bit of a non-event. But it feels like at every incremental step of the way that we get towards the Fed tightening, the market is surprised, like, oh, we, we didn't see this coming. I, I, I don't understand why this isn't completely baked in yet. No, I, I think to some degree it's a lack of clarity on the Fed's part itself. And the striking thing for me was that we went into the September meeting pretty much priced as a coin flip. And we certainly didn't think the Fed would feel comfortable leaving the markets that uncertain. And the fact that it had has left, has left, I think, this overhang of uncertainty that we don't quite understand what's driving Fed policy, the balance between the domestic economy, which is clearly arguing and has been arguing for a rate hike for some time, and the uncertainty from the rest of the world that's constraining the Fed. So I think that overhang of not quite knowing what the Fed's reaction function is means that there is always an overhang of uncertainty going into these meetings, and we won't be fully certain until we get the first rate hike out of the way. Then, of course, the debate becomes... How steep is the uh, trajectory for Fed funds once we've got the first hike done? Mm. There's um, a gap, as usual, between what the market thinks and what the Fed thinks here. There is, yes, and and a substantial degree of uh, room for debate on that. And however you look at it, this cycle is going to be different to to previous Fed cycles. And the fact that we are so late in rising is, is signal for that in itself. So I think once we get this debate out of the way, that's where we go from there onwards. On the euro side of the equation, I mean, just this week, we had some further details around what this next package package of easing from the ECB might look like. And again, the euro fell out of bed. And again, we had eurozone yields heading to record lows at some maturities. What is positioning like in the euro from where you're sitting? I think it's a lot lighter than it has been at times, which is why we do see the euro apparently reacting to news, which you think wasn't really that newsworthy. 
So I think investors have lightened up on positioning, and that's true not just in euros and dollars, but yen also. I think the market is a lot less positioned than it was six months ago. Um, so Why? I think to some degree it's just a lack of appetite to take risk rather than a lack of a view on the direction where currencies are going. I think most generally have an embedded view that the dollar is going up and the euro and yen are going down. But I think there's just been less appetite to take risk, particularly as we go into year end and liquidity starts to dry up. There's been less appetite to, um, to build exposure to that view, even though the view itself hasn't really changed. Is it an appetite thing or is it a funds under management thing? I mean, there's a lot of funds that have had a horrible time this year. I guess it's two sides of the same coin. I, I think it is. And, and I think there's probably an element of both at work, yes. That's not to say that the positioning can't come back. And I think it will come back. And one of the reasons we think that the dollar can continue to benefit from the turn in the rate cycle and further ECB easing, even though you, are, you would, as you say, suggest, suspect a lot of it's already priced. Mm. So Mario Draghi pulls something exciting out of his hat. What do you think that exciting thing is going to be? I think... I have a lot of sympathy for the view that markets have taken this week. Potentially, they could introduce some sort of tiering mm. to the deposit rate, which would allow them to cut interest rates in the way the market expects, but in a way that appears to be less painful to the domestic banking system, which is clearly something they'd That's like to do. Concern, right? yeah. so, so they get the benefit of forward rate expectations falling, market rate expectations falling, but reduce the cost in terms of the stress it places on domestic banks. So I think that would be helpful. And I, and I think if they could do that, it would also help keep open the options going forward. So not just that they deliver a rate cut, but they keep op- the option open of cutting rates further going forward from here. So the Which, lower bound on the deposit rate would be what then? I think it's hard to put an absolute figure on it. The, the experience of other central banks suggests it's lower than we thought it was. So the SNB, for instance, where we thought that purely through banks having the alternative of keeping physical cash in warehouses, yeah. we thought there was a lower bound of about half a percent. And, and everything suggests that's the case. And clearly, we've gone through that. So, so I think we're, we're still learning in terms of where the actual lower bound is. And it's clearly lower than theory would suggest. Mm. So I think if the ECB gets down to 0.4 or 0.5, there's no reason to suppose that they couldn't keep open the option of the threat as far as the FX markets are concerned cutting further than that. Because you underestimate Mario Draghi at your peril when he says he means business. And again, he was saying that this week, you know, it's not just a case of getting inflation back up to target. It's a case of getting it back up to target as quickly as possible. It's a brave man who bets against him, right? It is. Yes, it is. And that's the ECB's single objective. So the fact that we're seeing quite decent activity data coming out, particularly side of Germany over the last few weeks, oughtn't to really derail the ECB from that single-minded objective of Mm. getting inflation and inflation expectations back up to where they're supposed to be anchored. And meanwhile, some of the ECB's hawks are kind of jumping up and down around the edges and expressing concern about this plan. No one's paying the blindest bit of attention, are they, in the markets? No, and I think in many ways, actually, a a policy of lower rates would be easier to sell to the ECB's hawks because it's conventional. So so I think even though it's unconventional to have negative interest rates, at least it's putting a conventional policy lever rather than the unconventional and unpredictable. And I think we all agree we don't really know what the longer term effects of QE will be. Mm. I think so long as the ECB was pulling a conventional policy lever, it would be somewhat easier sell to the yep. more hawkish members. So, again, I think that's a reason to think that rate cuts are back on the agenda as, as, um, as the policy option. Yeah, because as you suggest, a lower deposit rate implies that the ECB has more bonds to buy on its shopping list because it is limited by that lower rate on the deposit yep. rate. But it is an easier sell domestically for the German policymakers, for example. Yes, because it's a a conventional policy instrument, even though it's in unconventional territory. 
So on that basis, do we have parity in Eurodollar by Christmas? Not by Christmas, but I think it's a prospect for early next year, yes. A lot of forecasters expected parity this year, and clearly so far we haven't got there. I think next year we probably will. The question for me really is not so much whether the policy divergence that drives that continues. And I think most of us probably agree it can. US rates are going up and Eurozone rates are going down. The question is more whether there's still a clear transmission mechanism for that policy divergence to keep driving the dollar up. And clearly, one of the concerns that many commentators have is that dollar strength in particular is starting to become self-defeating. Because there's a feedback loop through dollar strength doing the Fed's job for them, the more the dollar goes up, the less the Fed has to do, and therefore the less reason there is for the dollar to go up. And Welcome to the it, it becomes market, kind, of, kind of self-defeating. <laughs> I think realistically, we're probably not in that world yet. So although US trade performance has been a little disappointing, it's been disappointing mostly because partner country growth has been disappointing, not because US companies are losing market share. Market share looks quite stable to us. So don't think the US really has a major competitive problem yet. And so long as the rise in the dollar is orderly, and and I think pace is more important than absolute levels for the Fed. So long as the rise is orderly, then higher US dollar and higher US interest rates probably can coexist going forward from here. So I think euro dollar goes down principally because the dollar goes up. And that's an overarching theme that we have running through our expectations for most currencies for at least the first half of next year. A bit of a curveball that the market has thrown us this year is that the euro isn't behaving as it normally does. It's looking and smelling a lot like a funding currency that has a tendency to rise in times of stress. Does this mean that towards the end of the year when a lot of the euro funded carry trades get closed out that actually there's a bit of a short squeeze in euro dollar and that pushes it a little higher? I think there is a risk that this isn't a permanent phenomenon, that it certainly it is behaving And it's one of the big changes we've seen from two years ago or so, is that we used to think of the euro as a risky asset and the dollar as a safe haven. Now it appears that the euro is the safe haven and the dollar is the risky asset. I think that's more symptomatic of this funding currency status you mentioned, the euro actually having the inherent properties that you'd want in a safe haven. So, for instance, we see fairly consistently safe havens typically have very strong external balance sheets, Swiss franc, the yen are huge external creditors. Mm. The Eurozone isn't. It runs a small current account surplus, but in balance sheet terms, the Eurozone is still an external debtor. So I don't think it really has the properties of a safe haven in the way that the yen or the Swiss franc do. And I think it's probably quite transitory that it appears to trade as a safe haven, but particularly in the presence of a big risk-off shock, I'm not sure how durable that status would be. Just quickly, on risk-off shocks, there's been a shopping list of reasons why the market should be terrified about pretty much everything at the moment. There's been, a, in particular, a big rush of geopolitical shocks recently. Yep. Why is this not doing its usual thing to the yen, to the Swiss franc, to gold, to the dollar? I think there are two factors, principally, that, that are keeping risk appetite as, as well supported as it apparently is at the moment. The first is that most of the geopolitical shocks we've seen look like they're being perceived to be local or bilateral rather than global. Okay. So Russia, Turkey, or, or even going back to Paris, the ripples that they'd sent through global markets have been quite limited. And I think related to that, maybe a second factor is that risk appetite is, in underlying terms, very robust at the moment. 
quite perversely, higher US interest rates are being taken as positive for risk appetite in the same way that the failure of the Fed to raise rates back in September, which should have been a good thing for most markets, was actually taken as a bad thing as the conspiracy theorists that we are. We read that as the Fed knowing something that we don't and they had a reason not to hike. The opposite seems to be true at the moment. Markets perceive the Fed's readiness to hike as being a signal that all is well in the global economy. So I think you have an underlying positive background in terms of risk appetite that makes us robust to shocks in a way that we weren't back in September when markets were concerned that there was some underlying reason why central banks weren't tightening. So I think for those reasons, the risk appetite probably looks pretty well supported into year end from here. You think so? One very last thing I want to catch you on. Sterling, it flies under the radar now because everyone's so obsessed with ECB and Fed policy. You hear some rumblings that the wheels could really come off the currency next year. What do you think? I think I wouldn't have that as my central scenario. And I that central view for Sterling is quite constructive still. It's been, and I think it probably still is a a central case, a pretty plain vanilla conventional monetary policy story. So if you think the markets are wrong in pricing the first rate hike in spring of 2017, Mm. uh, and we do, we think 2016, spring of 2016 is far more likely, then that's a conventional monetary policy story that should support Sterling, at least on the crosses going Mm. forward from here. But what I think I would say for 2016 is that the dispersion of risks around that is getting ever bigger. There are two factors in particular that we worry about. The first is clearly the risk of the UK voting itself out of the EU, which I think however you cut it is probably a negative risk for the currency on an investable time horizon in that it's a negative growth risk and in that environment couldn't be constructive on the currency. And the other is that the UK current account position, which is at levels clearly which in the past has been sufficient to spark a balance of payments crisis and a sterling crisis, and this time it hasn't. And I think there are good reasons for thinking this time is different, but the longer it goes on, the less tolerant we probably come of it. So I think the way I think of sterling next year is a centrally positive view, but with an ever greater degree of risk around that. And because if the market of the decides design. to worry about the current account deficit, then... Such is the nature of current account deficits. They never <laughs> matter until they do. Yeah. And when they do, they're all that matters. Yeah. And I think it's very hard to get a handle of what might cause us to come in one Monday morning and <laughs> investors have suddenly decided they no longer want to fund the UK's external borrowing requirement. But that clearly is a risk. Yeah. A binary risk, but it's a risk. Well, I'll be on the phone to you then asking why we're all suddenly worrying about it all of a sudden. Adam, <laughs> it's been really interesting to talk to you. Thank you. Listeners, you can keep up to date with the latest on currencies through ft.com slash fx. Tune in next week. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program.